Uh, many of you know uh, that our family was uh, recently down south for our yearly trip to visit our extended family. We've got family in Georgia and Tennessee and North Carolina, and fortunately they all converged on uh, Georgia to kind of help us out with some of our traveling. But uh, one of the funnest days that we had on that trip was my brother's wife, her family has a farm that she's had all her life. She grew up on that farm, and we had never been to that farm, and so she invited us over, and the kids played in the creeks, and we, kept, we caught crawdads and frogs and saw the horses and the chicken houses and all that kind of It was just an awesome day, just a beautiful day just to be out enjoying God's creation. But unfortunately, just a few days after we left, the very house that we were looking at had had the roof lifted off, all the wind is blown out, and all six chicken houses with 30,000 chickens in each, so almost 200,000 chickens, was destroyed. Their farm was destroyed. And it was all because of those tornadoes that we were just talking about at the beginning of the service. It was the worst tornado outbreak since 1974. In fact, it may be, some say, the worst ever. And by the way, just to give you a little bit of a marker, I remember growing up, people talking about 1974's uh, tornadoes, that that was all over the Midwest, all over the South. That was kind of like, you know, Hurricane Katrina. That was like a marker for the worst ever that could ever happen. Well, now that's been uh, overridden by the storms that we just had. In fact, the night of the tornadoes, many of you were praying for my family. I asked for, on the prayer chain, I asked for you to pray for my family because I quite literally, for about 30 minutes to an hour, I was really concerned for some of my family members. I mean, the... The, the tornadoes were such, I think there was, I don't know, over 150, 160, something like that. But there was such a wide path of them, and they were coming right over. In fact, it, it's kind of a blessing, and it's kind of not to have the Weather Channel, you know what I mean? I mean, we could see exactly that is going over the town that I grew up in. Now, the blessing of it is I was able to look at it and say, hey, Mom, get in the basement, you know, in about 15 minutes. The hurt, I mean, the tornado is coming over your house. But my mom was literally in her basement. And by the way, when you talk to people who grow up in tornado country or hurricane country, they don't get scared very often. So when they get scared, I get scared. Amen. I mean, they, they were nervous. I mean, mom was in the basement. My sister was uh, with her family in the bathroom. They had mattresses all around them. Uh, I was talking to him on the cell phone, just saying, stay in there for another 30 minutes or an hour. The tornadoes are still coming. My brother was on the road driving back from Atlanta an hour back to, to drive back to home from work. And I said, Mike, you've got to turn around. You're headed right towards the tornadoes. Go back to your work. Stay there until everything is over. And he had to stay till about 1 o'clock in the morning. Fortunately, as far as I know, nobody in our family or anybody related to our church family, because there are others in our church family that have family down that way. As far as I know, nobody related to us was hurt, praise the Lord. But many people were. Many people were killed. Many people were injured. And I just remember that night, it struck me as I was thanking the Lord for keeping our family safe. We finally found out about 10 or 11, 12 o'clock that night that everybody was safe. After hearing that everybody was okay, I thought to myself, you know what, we were just there. I mean, we just saw them. We were just walking on that, that very ground. My kids walked into those chicken houses and looked at the cute little chicks and everything and just had such fun on that farm, and now it's gone. It's wiped out. I mean, in just a moment, suddenly... Something can happen and our lives can be changed forever. Isn't life like that? And this morning, I wonder as followers of Christ, how do we deal with that? Do you wonder about that? Is there any help for that? Is there any hope for us for the tremendously difficult situations that we face 
on almost a daily basis, but certainly on a regular basis in each one of our lives. And today we're beginning a new series in 1 Peter called Hope in the Midst of Hardship. We're talking, we're going to look at a book that talks about that life is difficult and that even as followers of Christ, we have difficult, challenging things that come against our lives. And, and you may be trying to live for God, but the Bible says, you know what? The sun shines down on the evil and the just. The, the storms come on the evil and the just. The good and the bad happen on everybody to some extent. Is there any hope for that? First Peter tells us there is hope if we put our trust in God. In fact, hope is one of the dominant themes in the book of First Peter. Some people have said that Paul is the apostle of faith, John is the apostle of love, and Peter is the apostle of hope. In his writings, he brings out the aspect that we have hope in God, and so we can expect to find that emphasis in this letter of First Peter. In fact, another way that Peter puts it in his epistle, in his letter, is he talks about it in terms of suffering and glory. The Bible says that we are going to face extremely difficult things, and that's an understatement, isn't it? Some of you know what suffering is like. We're going to face suffering. But you know what? The Bible also says in spite of that, we can look to, we can depend upon, we can look forward to glory. Amen? I mean, a total transformation from the intense heat and pain that we face in this life to God is not only victorious, He is overwhelmingly victorious. As bad as bad can get in this world, you haven't seen how good good can get. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we're going to learn about in 1 Peter. And today we're going to look at the first few verses of this book. They really serve as an introduction to this letter that he wrote. But these first two verses calls us from the very beginning to think about why do we need hope? We're going to look at the two main reasons that I believe Peter gives us in his letter for why we need hope. And the first one is that we need hope because all of us are messed up. All of us are sinners. Amen? Let's look at what he says. He says, starting out there, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop there, and I know that's kind of quick to stop. In fact, the reason I'm stopping is probably if you were to read this letter, you would just read that and you would move on. But I want us to think about for just a moment who it is. We're going to learn a lot about who he was writing to and the situation that they were dealing with. In fact, the rest of the letter is really going to be focused. The rest of our study is really going to be focused on all those things. But I don't want us to jump by the fact that we're reading a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was the one who wrote this letter. He's designated as an apostle. Now, an apostle was one of the special men who were entrusted by God as his eyewitnesses when Jesus Christ was here on this earth. The things that he said, the things that he did, they were first-hand accounts, people who were there, they knew what Christ did, and they are, they are verifiable witnesses to be able to pass on to us through God's word. Here is what Jesus said and did. Here is the message that God has for us. Now, in a sense, you could say all of us are apostles. Because the word actually means one who's been sent. One who's been sent by God is really the understanding that we have. All of us, the Bible says, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's what the Bible says. So in a sense, we're all sent by God. But in a very special sense, these men can never be duplicated again. There, is, there are no other apostles in the sense of the special sense of these men. Write down Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. It basically says there in Acts chapter 1 that in order to be one of these original apostles that were, 
were uh, passing on God's message to us through his word, you had to be basically an eyewitness of all that Jesus said and did. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not knowing many people that are still like first century walking around. Amen? <laughs> if they are, kind of freaking me out anyway, so I'm not thinking they're from God. <laughs> so and so uh, the reason I share that with you is because there are people who claim to be apostles. And you got to be very careful about that because it, it sounds, it, maybe sometimes we don't always pick up on it, but by saying I'm an apostle in that special sense, I'm basically saying that I have authority to speak for God. And that's very dangerous because God has already spoken, amen? God has given us his word, his fully complete word that we can trust and we can obey. And we're not looking to any other person to pass on to us God's message because there's no one that fits the requirements to do that. So Peter was an apostle sent by God, and we find out later that he was in Babylon. In 1 Peter 5, he, 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 he uh, hints at the idea that he was in Babylon. Now, people have wondered, does that mean he was truly in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, or was he uh, using a code word for saying that he was in Rome? And the reason I say that is because the, we're going to find out here in just a moment, they were under some intense persecution. And during persecution, sometimes people will use kind of code words to say things that maybe, you know, the authorities can't figure out. Babylon was a term that Christians began to use to describe this current world and its messed up system. And many times it was used specifically to speak about Rome and the Roman Empire. So we don't know for sure. Was Peter writing from truly Babylon or was he in a symbolic way saying, no, I'm in Rome and I'm writing to you. And that was just kind of a code word that he was using because of persecution. We don't know all that for sure, but here's a couple things we are fairly sure about. First of all, during this period, Christians were facing severe persecution. Many people believe that this letter was written during the time of Nero's persecution. Now, if you've studied history before, you know that Nero, during the first century, was one of the Roman emperors. And what Nero thought it would be fun to do is, and, and, uh, and you know, he, he had his own motives for doing this, but he thought he would burn the city. And when he burned the city, it backfired on him, and, and he wanted to blame somebody for it. So guess who he blamed? He blamed the Christians for it. He said it's those troublemakers, the Christians, those followers of Christ, and that began a great time of hardship for the followers of Jesus. In fact, many of them lost their lives for claiming to be a follower of Jesus. Now you think about that for just a minute. Would I truly be committed as a follower of Jesus if I knew it would cost me my life? We're also fairly certain from church tradition that around this time, Peter ended up being crucified for being a follower of Jesus. And actually, from what tradition tells us, he actually requested to be crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord was. Now, that's said to have happened in Rome. So it's very likely that Peter was in Rome. And during when he said he was writing from Babylon, I believe he probably very likely was using a code word to say, I'm Peter, I'm writing to you from Rome. And it wasn't going to be very long after this that he was going to lose his life for his following Jesus. Now, again, we don't know that for sure, but we do know this. Peter was one of the biggest early influences for the followers of Christ, and even remains that to this day, doesn't he? Having said that, here's what I want to focus on right now. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this great man of God, had a past. Now, they're, they're receiving this letter from God's servant, the, who God worked mightily through in that first century and continues through uh, his influence today. But that great man of God wasn't always that great say the least. 
fact, at one time, Peter had been far away from God. Before he became a follower of Jesus, Peter was a professional fisherman. Now, it doesn't take you long. To, have you ever seen that to show the deadliest catch? Okay, it doesn't take you long to watch a show like that to figure out that, that sometimes the fisher guys can be a little rough around the edges. Amen. I mean, I'm just going to be we won't go any further than that. OK, I have a feeling that Peter might have been a little bit of a tough guy. All right. And then when you think about we know from stories that we have about him later in his life that Peter was very impatient. He was aggressive. He was bold. He was outspoken. And that's after he accepted Christ. OK. And by the way, many times we think about the name that Jesus gave to Peter. His name meant the rock. Okay. now many times we think about that in a spiritual sense, in a sense, it was Peter, uh, you've made this profession of faith and upon this rock, you know, you're the rock. I'm I'm building this rock, the the foundation of your faith, the the uh, profession of your faith. That's what I'm going to build my church upon, not upon Peter specifically, but that profession that he made. And so we think about it in that way. But if you think about it a different way, Jesus gave him a nickname of rock. You start thinking about somebody you name named Rocky. I mean, he's not a wimp, is he? You name somebody rock. I mean, I'm thinking about somebody. I can almost picture Peter earlier in life as a professional fisherman. I could kind of see him starting a barroom brawl. Amen. <laughs> Not only that, but even as a follower of Christ, he struggled early on in his walk with the Lord. He followed the Lord. At times, he showed great faith. At times, he showed leadership. But he was immature. He was hot-headed. He was impetuous. He, he, he had the motto, you act first and you ask questions later. That was Peter. And yet, by most accounts, while stopping short of being something we call a pope, you know, we've we've kind of many, many people have kind of imposed back on him things that that really weren't intended. But while stopping short of that, he does appear to have become the main leader of the apostles. Okay, so Mr. Hothead, fly off the handle, a little rough around the edges, Fisher dude becomes the leader of of God's servants, the 12 apostles. In fact, just to give you one example, we have four lists of the 12 apostles in the New Testament, and Peter's name is listed first in each one of those lists. And in fact, in one place, he's called the protos. He's called the chief or the leader or the kind of the head uh, first among the apostles. Now, thinking about that, one Bible teacher said this. He says, I want you to realize that Peter was exactly like most of us Christians. He was both carnal or worldly, and spiritual he succumbed to the habits of the flesh sometimes he functioned in the spirit other times he was sinful sometimes but other times he acted the way a righteous man ought to act sound like anybody we know does it sound like you sometimes i do the right thing and sometimes i don't this man was the leader of the 12 apostles God took a common man with a vacillating, impulsive, unsubmissive personality and shaped him into a rock-like leader, the greatest preacher among the apostles, and clearly the dominant figure in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts where the church was first getting started. Isn't that awesome? God can take messed up people, people who are rough around the edges, people who've done wrong things, gone to wrong places, said wrong things, messed up a lot in their life, God can take people like that and totally transform their lives, even to the extent that that person would not only be transformed themselves, but now they could be used by God to teach and train and equip others. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. I hope that gives you hope today in your life that God can use a person like me. 
In fact, if you look at the book of 1 Peter, you could make the case that many of the things that he's going to teach in this book are actually things that he struggled with and God had taught him. I mean, you can specifically look at some of the things that he asserts to them, the ways that he's teaching and equipping them and say, you know what, Peter used to be the opposite of that and God had taught him and grown him and now he was in a position to share those same lessons with other people. Why do we need hope today? I need to know that God can use sinners like me. He can change my life. No matter what your background, no matter what your heritage, you say, Robbie, you don't know my family. You don't know my family either. And please don't go looking up stuff. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding. All right. <laughs> Shannon's there. Loves to remind me of my heritage every once in a while. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I come from a long line of messed up people, and I include me. And so do you, don't you? We look at our heritage. We look at the decisions. We look at the mistakes that we've made. We look at the weaknesses, our personalities, the the things every day that the enemy constantly reminds us of, and we say, God, how could you possibly work through a person like me? When you read Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, see messed up person, now being changed, now being used by God to help others. That I encourage you today. We all are sinners. But secondly, we all have many struggles. Second part of verse 1 into verse 2, we're going to look at this. You know, we can't study 1 Peter without at least addressing what we just talked about. God had transformed Peter's life. And that gives us hope, doesn't it? But now we're going to get to the real core of 1 Peter. The real core of 1 Peter is life is difficult. We face intense challenges. But in the midst of those challenges, God wants to give us great hope. In fact, I want to share something with you. As we think about this this morning, did you realize that I've heard it said before that around the world, many times, 1 Peter is the favorite book of many Christians? Because for many Christians, it's a lot harder to live for Jesus than it is in the United States. And if you have a faith where you're saying, God, it's hard, but I'm trusting you, you need to hear from God that there is hope. Amen? Let's think about it for just a minute, though, in our own lives. If you really wanted to, you could be depressed pretty much all the time, couldn't you? I mean, we could sit here this morning if we just got to thinking about it. We could be wringing our hands. We could be afraid. I mean, you've got the, the boss called you in tomorrow morning. I'm wondering what that's all about. Or they're saying there may be going to be some layoffs, and I might be one of those. Or, or my spouse is sort of acting a little strange over the last couple of years. I hope we're not you know, breaking apart. Or my kids are starting. I'm not sure about where they're headed. I mean, there's always the economy, my investments. But the, are we going to be able to keep the house? Good grief. I'm getting sweaty now just thinking about it. Amen. You could always be pessimistic or worried all the time if you wanted to. And some people are. There are so many challenges, isn't it? Sometimes I think about drowning. Do you ever think about that? It's just like, I'm drowning. There's too much. I can't handle it. Anybody ever feel like that? Am I the only messed up person around here? You ever just feel like I just, that one more thing is the straw that broke the camel's back. I cannot take just one more thing. Let's see the encouragement that God's word gives us through his servant, Peter. He says that he is writing to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, I actually like the English Standard Version better here than the new american standard where i'm reading from it actually says in the in the english standard version it says he is writing to elect exiles 
of the dispersion. Now, even that is a little bit confusing, just the wording there. There's some words there that we don't use very often, and so let's break it down a little bit further. But I like the way that kind of makes it a little bit clear-cut because there are some distinct ideas that Peter is trying to convey to them. The Lord, I believe, is conveying through Peter to them that he wants them to understand, he wants us to understand. So we might translate it better in terms of our understanding to the scattered foreigners or pilgrims who have been chosen. Let's think about those ideas. What is he saying? When he says scattered, he's saying, listen, these Christians from the very beginning, you go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, from the very beginning, Christians were being persecuted. They were being challenged for following Christ. And from the very beginning, they were being scattered. They were pushed out. In fact, we fight against persecution. We fight against problems in our life so much. But it's very possible that those early Christians would have hunkered down and enjoyed life in Jerusalem as followers of Jesus and would have never gone out and done the missionary work that God had called them to do if he hadn't forced them out of the nest. Do you realize that this morning? Sometimes we bow up against hardship, but sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's a part of God's bigger purpose. And so from the very beginning, these Christians knew what it was like to be scattered because of their faith. And now what was happening in Rome under Nero probably had spread across the Roman Empire and had spread to their area in Asia Asia Minor, and they had been scattered all across that region. He says Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Now, we don't recognize those areas as much today, most of those things, but we can go back to your Bible, in the back of your Bible, those uh, maps in the back of your Bible, you can look at a New Testament map, and you can see that Asia Minor, you can see some of these regions, the people that he's talking to. Basically, today, on a modern-day map, it'd be modern-day Turkey. You can look at it, and you can find where these believers were. But I want you to think about it for just a minute. Here we are. About 2,000 years later, it's easy for us to read a story in a book, in the Bible, and just kind of distance ourselves from that. But would you feel a little bit of fellowship with your fellow believers who lived maybe centuries ago, but who are just as real as you are sitting here today? These believers were being persecuted for their faith, and because of that, they were having to leave their homes. They were having to take their kids out of their schools. They were having to change their communities, their their neighbors. They were having to go into different areas that they had not grown up in, that they had not lived in. They were being scattered because of their faith. Can you imagine? And, and, And the obvious answer this morning is no, I can't imagine. Because thank God we don't have that happen in the United States, at least not yet. But did you know that there are Christians all over the world? It's very common for Christians to be driven out. In fact, I've heard stories about people who whose families have had funerals for them, when they accepted Christ, they said, we are now disowning you. We are having a funeral for you. And actually, if you don't leave town and get out of our sight, we will make the funeral a real funeral. We'll take your life. Can you imagine this morning? You know, that helps me a little bit. Because sometimes being a follower of Jesus just feels like, you know what, I want God in my life. And it feels good to have some things changing and my marriage is getting better. And we make it so light and fluffy. You know, it's more than light and fluffy. I'm thankful that God's made my life better. I'm thankful he's given me friends and family and church family and blessings and all the good things that come with being a follower of Jesus. But do I follow God just because he's worthy? Amen? He is God. 
He deserves to be followed, not because my circumstances are good, but because I love him. He's changed my life. I've given my life to him. There is no other option. Fully surrender. I'm following him no matter where that takes me. That's what these people had decided. And Peter uses the word. He actually, he said, elect exiles of the dispersion. That, that word dispersion, that's what I use for the, the, the word scattered, okay? They were dispersed. They were scattered. But the word that he used was the word diaspora. Okay, and that was actually a word that they used to the Jewish people used to reflect back to what had happened to them centuries ago as God's people, the Jewish people. What had happened is about 700 years prior to that in 722 B.C., the Assyrians had come, had taken over the northern kingdoms of Israel, had scattered those people all across that known world. And then about 100 or so years later, in 587 B.C., the Babylonians had come along and done the same thing to Judah, the southern kingdoms of Israel. And they were scattered, they were dispersed, they were distributed all across that area. And that's what Peter's appealing to here. He says, hey, listen, he's putting them in line in solidarity with God's work and God's peace. He says, listen, you're, you're, you guys aren't the first people to ever have, have this happen to you before. You know in your history, in fact, it's very likely that we can say that Peter was writing to a highly Jewish audience. That probably many of his, the, the recipients of this letter, because of several things he says in this letter, it's very likely that many of them had a Jewish background, that they were Jewish Christians. They had given their life to Christ. He says, listen, you know that this has happened before. It's not such an odd thing. It's happened to God's people before, and you are in, in line with them. You've been scattered because of your faith. But he says, but you're pilgrims. He says, you are the elect exiles of the scattering. That word is very important. That word exile that word pilgrim, however you want to translate it, actually foreigner. The New American Standard is an unfortunate, unfortunate translation. Aliens? I mean, who came up with that translation? I'm thinking about little green man. How about you? Okay, We're, he's not talking about this little green man going all over Asia Minor. All right? That's just a way of saying they were not from around there. They, their residency, they were living in a place that was not their real residency. And literally, that was true, wasn't it? He says, to the elect foreigners, exiles, pilgrims of the dispersion. You've been scattered into areas that you're not from. You're living in a place that does not feel like home. And I believe part of what Peter's doing there is he's identifying, he's saying, listen, I understand things feel weird. It's a struggle because you're forced into places that you didn't plan to be in. You're living in an area that you didn't choose to live in. You had to do those things. I understand that. And I think part of what he's doing while, I, while acknowledging that literal uh, displacement of theirs as pilgrims, I think he was also challenging them, did you realize that you are really pilgrims? And friends, this is not to be your home anyway. Some of us are trying to be way too comfortable in this life. And you know what? This world is not my home. I hope not. Amen? I hope not. I mean, I see some good things. Every once in a while, God pulls back the curtain and I see his glory. Amen? Thank God for church. Thank God for family. Thank God for blessings. Thank God for miracles that God gives us. And we see just a little bit of a glimpse. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. But much of life is not like that. This world is not my home. I'm looking for a different place. Many of us need to transform our thinking or let God change our thinking. We're trying to be, just to give you an, an analogy, the difference between renting and owning a home. Many of us are having that ownership mentality. I'm going to settle in here. I'm going to buy a home. And I'm not saying literally there's anything wrong with buying a home. 
We're talking more about attitude. You know, when you buy a home, you invest in that, you put time, you put energy, you put your heart into that, you put all the colors you want, you design it the way you want, all those things. There's more heart in that, isn't there? But when you're renting, it's a different mindset, isn't it? When you're renting, you might paint the walls to look like you want them to look, you know, at least while we're here. You might put some things on the wall, you might buy some furniture, but I'm not putting a lot into this place because I know it's what? It's temporary. This is just kind of a holding place for a little while, but I've got somewhere else that I am going. Would God speak to your heart about that today? Peter is writing to persecuted people who did not feel at home where they were living. They felt displaced out of their normal lives because of that persecution for following Jesus. They were going through some very difficult times. You know what? It's very possible this morning, even though you are not losing your life for being a Christian, some of you know what that's like, don't you? There are people in the United States who get persecuted for their faith. Right now, you may have, it may be as simple as in your family. You know, you go for Thanksgiving dinner and you're the, you're the joke. Of, you're, you know, everybody's pointing all the jokes at you. You know, there's all the insinuations or all the, oh, I guess we're going to pray because Robbie's here or whatever. All that kind of stuff, right? There's all that kind of stuff that happens. Or maybe you go to work and you hear that, oh, preacher boy, you know, Robbie, yeah, yeah, you're Mr. Wonderful Holy, let's don't touch him, all this kind of stuff. You ever get that kind of stuff? Oh, I forgot you're going to church this weekend. Oh, yeah, good for you, goody, goody. You ever hear that kind of stuff? Yeah, some of you, that's a struggle, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Maybe it's something totally different. There are people here this morning struggling with physical problems, cancer, Are people here struggling with your marriage? Are we going to make it? There's so much, so much, so many years, so much water under the bridge with your kids, the decisions they're making. Is everything going to be okay? And here this morning, do you ever just your chest get tight? Does does your stomach ever just tighten up? Or just, like I said earlier, to me, it just feels like sometimes just drowning. It's just too much. Just, you know, I'm, I'm drowning. It's like right here, just a little bit more, and I just, I can't take it anymore. Peter is going to have a lot more to say to us about that. But here at the beginning, he says, in the midst of your scattering, he reminds them, don't forget how special you are. Because you are a follower of Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, to those elect exiles of the dispersion, you've been scattered, you're living as foreigners in a strange land in a sense, but don't forget that you have been elected. You've been chosen. Now, I don't know exactly how all that works, but I'm just glad that God chose to save me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just glad he chose to save me. And if you are saved, if you receive Christ as your Savior, you, can be, you should be glad of that too. And if you want to be saved, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, you can be glad about that too. God is saying to you today, I choose you. Would you answer that call? I, t- I shared with you last week or a couple weeks ago, have you ever been in that junior high nightmare of picking the basketball team? And nobody wants to pick me, right? I'm the last one. And okay, I guess we'll take you. That's not what God's doing for us. God is saying, I want you in my family. Isn't that amazing? And he says that was done by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, I can't figure all that out, but it tells me this. God is in control. God has a plan, and I'm a part of that plan. Isn't that good news to know? God chose me. He's got a plan that he's working out in this world, and I am a part of that plan. 
And that happened through the sanctifying work of his spirit. Again, Peter's just kind of just kind of a litany of just kind of a list of do you know what God has done? He hasn't even got into teaching yet. This is just the introduction, but he's just beginning to say to them, I want you to understand what Christ has done for you. You've been chosen by God. You've been sanctified by his Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, there's kind of uh, uh, many people kind of break this down. And again, let's don't break it down too much. Uh, somebody said sometimes as Christians, we we kind of uh, break down, break things, break things down so much that it's almost like a rose. If you got a rose, just look at it and smell it and enjoy it. Don't pull it apart and <laughs> break it apart. All right. But just to understand what he's talking when he says by the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit, many people will describe that term sanctify means that God has set you apart and that God is setting you apart as special for his purposes. Does that help you? Okay. It actually literally means it means to make holy, to make special for God, to set you apart. In fact, many times Shannon, she'll make a chocolate pie. If you're coming over to our house, she'll make a chocolate pie and she writes holy on it. That means keep your hands off of this big guy. Okay. All right. It's been set apart. It's been special for Shannon's purposes. Okay. All right. Well, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. There's really two parts to that that we understand as we read God's word. And some people call the first part positional sanctification and the other one progressive sanctification. Again, not to get too complicated, but what we're saying is that first of all, when you accept Christ as your Savior, your position changes. No longer are you an enemy of God. No longer are you separated from God. Wow, you just went from you are in danger of God's judgment. You just went from that to accepted by God, forgiven. Not only that, come into the family, you're one of us. Wow. The Holy Spirit of God came into your life and set you apart as God's very own. Good grief. Do you find yourself starting to forget for just a moment about the problem and just letting God minister to you? By the sanctifying work, the Holy Spirit of God came into your life and set you apart as special for God. But unfortunately, you're not that special yet. I'm not either, right? Unfortunately, what God has granted to us in reality has not happened, has it? I am not that great for God. I am not that special for Him. I am not completely used for His purposes. And God says, I'm going to grant you that because it takes that for you just to have the relationship with me in the first place. I'm going to grant that for you. Then I'm going to give you the blessing of for the rest of your life truly experiencing what it's like to be more and more set aside for my special purposes. That's progressive sanctification. Over time throughout the rest of my life, the Holy Spirit of God is working. And do you hear what the Apostle Peter is saying? You have been chosen by God. He has set you apart, granted you this amazing privilege of being special in His sight. And then right now, even now, in the midst of your difficulty, God is at work in your life to make you more and more like Christ. He says you are submitting to and being sprinkled by Jesus. He says to obey, and the New American says to obey. Actually, I like the translation better. You're sub, you, you have submitted. You have surrendered to Christ. You have given your life to Jesus Christ, and you have been sprinkled by his blood. Now, again, that leads us towards a highly Jewish audience because the terminology he's using there sounds a lot like the sacrifices in the Jewish temple. What he's saying is just like the sacrifices were made and the blood was sprinkled and forgiveness was granted by God, just like that, when Christ came into your life, his blood was shed for you and his precious, perfect blood did what no bull, no goat, no sacrifice could have ever done. God granted those things as a favor to us, but they really 
to the Jewish people were not washing away their sins. Okay, but the precious blood of Christ had to be shed. He had to die. Someone as a righteous judge, God could not wink at sin. God could not let it go. If somebody killed somebody in your family and they went before a judge and that judge said, oh, well, we'll forget about it. Would he be a good judge? No, God has to judge sin because he's a good judge, but he doesn't want to judge you. So he judged his son in your place. And because Jesus paid the death penalty that we that we deserve to pay, because of that, I've been when I received his gift, I was sprinkled by his blood and washed of my sins and forgiven. That's what Peter's saying. You have been forgiven eternally for your sins. So so let's wrap up what Peter's saying. He says, yes, things are hard. Things are very hard. But don't forget, you have been chosen by the creator of the universe to be in his family. He has worked in your heart through the power of his spirit to set you apart and to grant you a relationship with him, a special privilege of a relationship with him. He is currently right now working in your life. That helps me in the middle of this problem. God has not forsaken me. God is at work. Do you believe that, friend? Do you believe it? The enemy will tell you God has forsaken you. That is not true. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, he says, I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. Are you going to believe the, the word of the enemy or are you going to believe the word of your Lord? He says, even though I walk through the valley of, it can be translated deep shadows or the valley of death. Even though I walk through, I like that deep shadows because many of us haven't walked through, the, well, none of us have walked through the valley of death. Even though we walk through the valley of deep shadows. Feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Even though I walk through that valley, I will fear no evil. He trusts in the Lord because the Lord is with me. Do you believe that today? The Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life. God has not forsaken you. I do not know. God, I'm interested to see how you're going to make good out of this one because it don't look good to me. But I know that if God be for me, who can be against me? I know that God causes all things to work together to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. I trust by faith. I do not know the answer, but I trust that God is in control that he loves me and that he has a plan and that it's going to be good at the end. Amen? Does that give you hope today? I guarantee you, Christian, if you are in the middle of a battle, I guarantee you, I do not care how dark it is. It does not matter how dark it is. As a Christian, by faith, you ought to be looking in that dark cloud. I know it's there somewhere. I'll see it. Where is it? I know there's a crack. I know there's a glimmer. I know my Lord is going to burst through that somehow. Amen? Doesn't that change things? I am not overwhelmed. I am not overcome. I cannot be shaken if I trust in the Lord. God has a purpose and a plan. Do you believe that today? Many of us Christians need to hear that, don't we? You know, sometimes I see it like this. By the way, as we're going through this series, I would encourage you to read the book Pilgrim's Progress. That's a great book. It really goes right along with what we're talking about. It's a great book. You know, many times as we're going through life, don't we kind of need, you kind of picture yourself in a race, a marathon. Don't you, every once in a while in the race, I don't know, I've never run one, I don't plan to. But anyway, if you, if you, they tell me that there's people that hand you water, Right? I can't make it one more mile. 
You're doing great. Come on, here's some water, right? I just imagine this morning that there's some of us, you just need a little cup. And I pray that God's spoken to you today. You're in it with me. God's speaking to you. You're in it with me. And I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I hear. I see what you're going through. I can't tell you how many times I have been to church. I didn't want to come. I almost didn't. I, I was on the edge of really messing up. And I just said, I know from experience, I probably need to go. Right? Some of you came like that today. And I got there and God spoke to me and I said, whoa, whoa, I just about blew it. Isn't God good? I hope that he's encouraging you today. Listen, I was sharing with somebody this week. They were trying to plan. They were trying to figure out the rest of their life, how they're going to live for God. I said, look, you know what? (laughs) Today's enough for me. Let's just ask God to help you to get through this day. Then you wake up tomorrow. And you ask him to help you get through that one. Then you do that again. You do that again. Poor long, you're going to be in heaven. And God's going to get you through. Today, don't worry about next week. Jesus might come back tonight. I know he didn't last week. Don't talk back to me. I know he didn't last week when I said that. But one day he's going to. One day he's going to. Let's live every day like it was going to be this day. And I wonder if there's somebody here today that you've never put your trust in Jesus. Friend, I just want to share with you as lovingly and graciously as I can, certainly not condescendingly or, or in a condemning way because all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. The only reason I'm standing up a little bit higher is just so people in the back can see me, but I really would rather be standing down here, okay? Because we're all in the same place in need of a Savior. The only difference is, have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you received the free gift that he's offering to you? I have to say to you this morning, if you have problems in your life, if you're not willing to trust Jesus, I don't have anything else to tell you. I mean, I would just have to say, I'm sorry. Uh, There's nothing I can do or say to help you. It's just bad, and I can't give any hope. But in Christ, it's not just, oh, well, that's a nice change. No, it's like over, you wouldn't even believe how much In heaven, this thing is going to be a distant memory, if even that. (laughs) Maybe for a few moments. That's how much God has ahead, great, in store for you. Would you trust him today? This morning, you can. Right now, this very moment, you could call upon him and say, Jesus, I trust you. I I ask you to come into my life to forgive me. To, to give me that right relationship with you, to wash my sins away, to be my Savior. I want to follow you. I want to do your will. I want to be your servant. And I want to go to heaven one day. Would you give me your hope? And he will do that. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is not based on you or anybody else. It is based on him and his word. Will you trust him today? Let's bow together for just a few moments. I'm going to ask you just to be real still for just a moment, just to spend some time with the Lord, to let others spend time with God. You never know when three people down, there might be somebody that's dealing with eternity.
You never know if there's somebody a couple of seats from you that's just about to give up on their marriage. Would you pray for people who are sitting beside you right now? Would you pray for the person sitting in your seat that all of us will hear from the Lord and respond to Him right now? Father, I'm so grateful to have the privilege of being your servant today. If I could just be, in a small way, your servant to hand off that cup of water to somebody running that marathon of life today, what an awesome privilege, and I thank you for it. I pray that someone has been encouraged to go one more mile. And God, I know you're faithful. There's, there's somebody waiting that next mile to encourage them again. And just mile after mile, step after step, God, that's just the way you are. We want to see the whole picture. We want to see how it's all mapped out. We want to see all those mileposts and that there are people standing there with water. But Lord, that's not how you do things. You call us to trust you. Moment by moment, step by step, day by day. I pray for your followers here today, Lord. I cannot even imagine what some people are going through. But I thank you that you do. You know. And I pray that you would help them today to have faith in you, to trust you. And Lord, I do pray if there's somebody here that's never put their trust in you, Jesus, I pray that they would realize you are the only hope. There's nowhere else, no one else to turn to. But they would realize that, that their whole life you've been pursuing them. And Lord, I pray that now while their heart is open, while they're listening, while they're still, Lord, it might be another five years, it might be ten years before they're listening again, it might be too late. I pray that right now, they would call upon you and receive your free gift. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand together with me, and Pastor Jeff's going to lead us in a song of invitation. For those of you who are guests here, just let me share with you, uh, don't worry. At the end of the service, we don't make people stand up or do anything they don't want to do. What we do is we give you an opportunity to respond to God. And, and as I said, I want to encourage you to take that seriously because the Bible says what just happened Hearing from God is not enough. We need to hear from the Lord, and then we need to respond to Him. And so right now is your opportunity to say, God, so what? What does this mean for my life? To capture this moment before you leave, because life's going to start again, right? Right when you walk out that door, it's going to start again. Before I leave, let me make my decision that I'm going to trust in the Lord. If you need to do that by yourself, you're welcome to do that in your seat. You can kneel down by your seat and pray. You can close your eyes. You can sing this song and worship to Him. You can come forward if you want to pray with me. I'd love to pray with you. People come every weekend for prayer and encouragement. I won't share that with everybody unless you want it to be shared. Sometimes people want to share. I've accepted Christ and I can't stand it. I want to tell everybody. Or maybe you're ready to make some other decision to publicly declare your faith by being baptized as a believer. You want to share that. Become a part of our church family. Uh, maybe God's speaking in your heart about the tornado relief or Maybe being a part in some way of something, I don't know, whatever it might be this morning, whether it's personal or whether you'd like to share it with me or with others, we'll give you that opportunity right now.